And we're going through the Sermon on the Mount. We've talked about anger. We've talked about lust. We've talked about divorce. We've talked about deceit. Um, and really how, how um, prevalent those are in our lives, even as believers in Christ and followers of Christ. And how those really are the things that Jesus wanted his, his guys, his, his followers to, to be paying attention to. Um, even more so than what are the other things that society might want to pay attention to. So today we're talking about resentment. We're talking about what to do when you've been wronged. Um, resentment meaning bitter indignation at being treated unfairly. Have you ever had a breath or a sip of resentment? Have you ever had that moment where you feel bitter indignation at being treated unfairly? That's resentment. And resentment is something that uh, Jesus wanted to talk to his guys about. And uh, right now in our, in our current um, societal moment, cultural moment, it definitely seems like resentment has become the marketer's tool of choice. It's a powerful, powerful motivator. It's a powerful, powerful unifier. If I can find other people that feel the same resentment, there's an immediate deep bond I have with them. And if that can be used to motivate me, it's a very, very powerful motivator. And it seems like in society, our political left, our political right, they're using resentment. Even racial relations, it seems like resentment is this, is this thing that people are trying to stir up and use to control people or to divide people into tribes. And it's something that we need to check in our own hearts. And so today we're going to do a little bit of that. We're going to see what's our resentment level. And if you don't think you have any resentment in your life, you should probably go listen two weeks ago when we talked about the deception thing. Um, that might be a good little refresher for you and then come back to this one. Um, but basically we're just going to kind of measure those levels of resentment, um, bitterness, and uh, see what Jesus would, would say to us in that space. Um, and in a little bit more serious note, um, you know, this week we, we received the sentence of Derek Chauvin, the 22 and a half years that, that uh, he was sentenced for his, his part in the killing of, of Mr. Floyd. And, uh, and that stirs up a lot of different things in people's hearts and minds. I read the response of his, his siblings and family. And uh, interesting enough, they were pretty you know, across the spectrum, some feeling like this was a really great sign of justice, some felt like this was a great injustice. Um, I haven't heard anything from the Chauvin family and what their take on all of this was. But you can just understand, there are real, real situations in society that are very, very, very troubling and hard and difficult. Um, I spoke on the phone with a guy last week that I haven't talked to in literally 22 years, and we spoke for an hour and 45 minutes um, as he shared to me um, all of the, the pain and the resentment and all of that that's been in his life over the last 22 years because his marriage of 22 years just ended. And uh, he wasn't at all trying to say he was not at fault. He was just unloading just years and years and years and years of pain um, from the marriage that he had had and no longer has. And there's just, there's just tons of realities in life. We're always finding ourselves in situations where resentment has a, has a chance to prosper and to grow. And today we're gonna hear from Jesus what he prescribes when we find ourselves hurt by evil or by an evil person. Matthew chapter five. You have heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. 
Jesus, again, he's on the side of a hill, first century Israel, um, in a, uh, you know, outside of Jerusalem by the Sea of Galilee with a, a number of people that had been gathered to him. And uh, he's kind of talking to them about the Torah. He's talking to them about the, the Levitical law. And sure enough, if you read Leviticus, Deuteronomy, oftentimes you come across this idea of God telling the people that the way that they're supposed to judge situations is eye for eye and tooth for tooth. It was actually a good law that God had given his people to help govern them. It wasn't, didn't mean that if somebody comes and like, you know, like cuts my leg off, I'm supposed to go cut their leg off. It's if somebody cuts my, my leg off, we're supposed to go before the judge. And then the judge who has the authority would decide between the two, what was the right recompense or right, um, you know, judgment in that situation. And, uh, and so this is what Jesus is saying. It's a, it was a good thing. It was something God gave to his people to um, kind of give them a little bit of um, fear in the way that they would act towards one another. Um, it would give them a little bit of pause before they would do something to hurt someone, knowing that the law of the land was if they did that to someone, then it could be done to them. Um, but the people, like always, like we do, they were manipulating and twisting it in a way that God didn't intend. So Jesus was trying to get it back on track. And so he says to you, but I tell you, what God was really trying to produce and create in your society and culture with that law was that you would not resist an evil person. I hate this verse. I don't know if you're allowed to hate Bible verses, but if you are, <laughs> I hate this verse. And so I dug in, you know, like to the Greek and the commentaries and all the like, you know, people who have done ethics writings and all like, just, okay, give me what, what is this really saying? And there were those that did try and with nuance and kind of clever kind of thinking and, and spinning, they were able to kind of really make this say something that's much more palatable. But then there were a lot of others that were basically like, nah, just sucks. <laughs> It's just a really hard, hard, hard thing that Jesus was teaching his, his followers. That you are not to resist an evil person. That translation is actually pretty good. It's pointing us in the right direction. And when you know Jesus, he said audacious things, right? He was a shocker. And it seems very in line with Jesus that he would say it just like it sounds as I'm reading it. Do not resist an evil person. And Jesus didn't say this because he's foolish or he's trying to wax eloquent. He was saying this because he really believes this is the best way. This is what will cause the kingdom of heaven to show up in your life and in your society. This is the most powerful thing you can do. This is not passive-ism where you're just supposed to lay down and die. This is some sort of passivism where you are pacifying the evil. You are actually not resisting them, but pacifying them with your righteousness. And it's a challenging thing for us. And we're not first century Jewish people living by the Sea of Galilee who actually every single day of their life experienced completely unfair treatment. They were in absolute bondage, hard, rough, oppressive bondage to the Romans in their own homeland. 
They were considered less than the Romans, less than human. They were taxed to where they could basically make no real progress in their life. They were hated, they were despised, and even within their Jewish community, they were bottom of the barrel. Fishermen and shepherds. Tax collectors. They were hated and despised because of what they did and where they were raised. And they knew the sting. They knew that bitter indignation at being treated unfairly. That's all they'd ever really known in their life. And now Jesus is saying, don't resist an evil person. And then he goes on to say, instead, if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them also the other cheek. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Now, this is actually speaking specifically to a Roman law where the Romans were able to say at any time, like, hey, boy, come here and carry this for me. Or, hey, I want you to go with me so that you can take this thing back for me. And if you don't do it, there are actual like, legal ramifications for you and your household. And so Jesus is saying, if they come and they say to you, hey, I want you to carry this thing a mile, he's saying, I want you to go a little bit further, at least far enough to where they'll notice it. And then the last one, give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Now, again, this is in reference to the evil person. All of this is in reference to the evil person. This isn't, hey, if there's somebody that's really cool and you like them a lot and they ask you to borrow something, be like, hey, what's up, man? I'll borrow you. He's saying if that same evil person comes to you and says, hey, could I borrow something? You give it to him. You give it to him. Now, just like we've been talking about with anger, lust, divorce, all of these things, it's super heavy, super intense, super challenging. Um, but Matthew 7, 28, which is the verse that just comes after the Sermon on the Mount, it says that all the people heard the words of Jesus and were amazed. And they were, they were amazed because he spoke as one having authority, unlike the Pharisees. And what they were meaning by that was basically when they heard the words of Jesus, even these heavy, hard, challenging, no way, impossible words of Jesus, they didn't feel pushed away by Jesus. But instead, the sound of his voice, the look in his eyes, whatever it was, it, it brought this message across to where they thought Jesus really could get them to this place. They were basically hearing from Jesus, hey, if you take my hand and if you stick with me long enough, this is what's gonna show up in your life. And they believed him. And sure enough, those disciples that followed him, we get to follow their stories and that's where they ended up. And the message for us is as you hear this, it's not, oh man, this is impossible, no way, I'm out, forget this, Jesus can never... It's if you will stick with Jesus, not strive in your own strength or read a bunch of self-help books on resentment, but if you will literally take Jesus' hand and walk with him and let his words abide in you and his spirit abide in you, you will find this being the fruit that ultimately comes out of your life. This will be the heart that beats inside of you as we follow him. And so, 
This is very heavy, it's very intense. Um, we're more familiar with revenge, retaliation, recompense, retribution. These are kind of the prescriptions that are being offered in our day. And uh, although those things, you know, have a place and, and all of that, um, it doesn't seem to be the, way, the thing that Jesus is prescribing. And we also have this natural thing built into us, literally biologically, with the flight or flight. And so when we're hit with this trauma, when we're hit with these really hard things, when evil shows up and hurts us, we, we have these responses. Some are fight and some are flight. Some of you are fight people. And it's just like, doesn't matter what happens, you're just like, oh, you know, and you just want to tear somebody apart. You want to come at them. And you're kind of going like, and the people next to you are going like, because they know it. And it's intense. And it is, it's a reaction. And I get it's, it's something that's there. It's biological. But then for other people, there's this flight thing where basically when this stuff happens, you just want to run, you just want to hide, you want to medicate, you want to substance abuse, you want to do all these things. You just want to stuff, stuff, stuff. And you're like, oh, look, there's a little part over there. Jam some more down there. And you just stuff and you just stuff and you just stuff. And honestly, you're the most scary people. Because every once in a while, you explode. And Jesus is wanting to teach us another way. That fight or flight, it's there to serve you in those intense situations, but it's not supposed to be the action that you live off and live on into. He wants to teach us to forgive. Forgiveness is a huge part of his kingdom. It's one of the biggest attributes or virtues in the life of a follower of Jesus. One, receiving forgiveness from God and two, forgiving others as we have been forgiven. So how can we get there? Well, Jesus said it, so we should try and live into it. We should take his hand and allow us to lead us into it. But here's biblically some other reasons why I think it's so important for us to learn to walk in this way. The first one is that God has promised he will avenge. Now this sounds really weird for Christians. It's funny, when we talk about the character of God and, and, and the nature of God and the name of God in, in Exodus 34, it goes through about he's abounding in love and faithfulness and merciful and kind and slow to anger and, 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 he, and you know, he, get, he sheds mercy to, to the, and faithfulness to thousands of generations. But the very last line of that same whole thing is, yet he will not leave the guilty unpunished. And it's just so funny because like we always sing about the nature of God, but then like that line is never in any of the worship songs I've ever heard. It's like, yeah, Lord, you're so good and you will not leave the guilty unpunished. You know, like I, just one time I want a song that's got that in there and I'm just gonna be like, yeah, now we are seriously worshiping God in spirit and in truth because that is a reality to a God. He does not make any bones about that. And honestly, if you've been the one on the wrong side of evil, you really long for God to do something about it. You want someone to fight for you. And this is what God says in Deuteronomy 32, 35. It is mine to avenge, I will repay. In due time their foot will slip, their day of disaster is near and their doom rushes upon them. In Psalm 91, Verse one, the Lord is a God who avenges. O God, of avenge, uh, o God who avenges, shine forth, rise up, judge the earth and pay back to the proud what they deserve. I mean, you can find countless scriptures 
about this, just in case you didn't, you think these are all Old Testament. Hebrews 10.30 says, For we know him who said, It is mine to avenge, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. God will not leave the guilty unpunished, not even for a second, not even for a day, not even for a, a lifetime. He will always do what is right. He is the only one that can actually execute justice. He's the only one that knows. I love what Dallas Willard, this guy says. He says, anger and condemnation, like vengeance, are safely left to God. We must beware of believing that it is okay for us to condemn as long as we are condemning the right things. It is not so simple as that. I can trust Jesus to go into the temple and drive out those who are profiting from religion, beating them with a rope. I cannot trust myself to do that. Anytime we take matters into our own hands, we're best basically pushing God aside and saying, God, you don't know what to do. You can't be trusted. And God wants you to know consistently throughout the whole of the scriptures that he takes these matters very seriously and he will make things right. He is a God of vengeance, but always in the perfect way because he's the only one that can see perfectly. So we need to let go, we need to release, we need to trust God with all of these things because he's the only one that can truly handle them correctly. The second thing, second reason why we should try and live into this and trust God in this way is you will gain a blessing. We're, we we're Christians, we love the blessing. Oh, to bless this, bless you, child, bless, we're just all about the blessing. We got songs called The Blessing. We just sing them over and over and they like never end. We just keep singing it and singing it and singing it and singing it. It's just blessing all over. Bless you and bless them and bless everybody. And it's awesome, that's good, because there is a lot of blessing in following God. In 1 Peter 3, 9, it says, do not repay evil for evil or insult with insult. <sighs> have to just erase my whole junior high years, basically right there. Um, didn't do a great job of that. Um, and some of you need to go close your accounts online right now. Uh, on the contrary, repay evil with blessing because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. Literally, Peter is writing to encourage the people he loves and cares for who are going through great persecution, loss of life persecution. And he says to them, repay evil with blessing. Just like Jesus said, because to this you were called as a follower of Christ and you will inherit a blessing. So what is the blessing? Psalm 37, five through six, commit your way to the Lord, trust in him and he will do this. He will make your righteous reward shine like the dawn, your vindication like the noonday sun. In the, I forget which prophet is, but he, he writes and he says, I will be patient as the Lord punishes me for the wrongs I've done against him. Because after that, he'll take my cause and he'll bring me to light and to justice for all I have suffered. The blessing that God promises is that there will be a day when everything will be revealed and your righteousness will shine forth if you walk in this way, and your vindication like the noonday sun. You will get to stand in that day 
and you will be honored and you will receive all that God has for you. If you walk in this way, you will gain a blessing. And then the third reason, so God will avenge so you can give it to him and trust him and then you'll gain a blessing because we all want a blessing. But then the last thing I think the most important is you'll put God's glory on display. So Matthew 5, 14 through 16 says, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. This is what he says in, 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 as an intro to set up his teachings on anger, lust, divorce, and now you know, vengeance. He's saying basically if you'll walk in this way, it, it will be like this light that shines in society. And it's true that some people hate the light. But it's also true that there are some people who are getting sick of the darkness. And when they turn and they see the light, they long for it. And they run to it. And they're saved. We have a story about that with Paul, right? Paul and Silas were in prison totally treated unfairly, unjustly. And an earthquake comes and shakes everything up. And all the shackles are off. They're set free. The doors are open and they're just hanging out and they just keep singing. And the jailer comes in, the very one who put them in those bondages and whatever else he did to them. And he's just about to kill himself. And Paul's like, hey man, we're all just hanging out. What are you doing? Why are you getting so serious over there, all emo? And the guy looks over and he's like, what's going on? And he says, we're just praising the Lord and we think he's with us. And he could be with you too. And they bless him. And the guy ends up saying, what can I do to be saved? They pray for him. He and his whole family get saved. He was tired of the darkness. And when he saw this light, it was like, this seems very different. What is this? And as he explained it to him, he was able to receive it. And the light came. And then John 21, 18 through 19, Jesus is talking to Peter after the resurrection. Peter's asking him some questions about what's coming. And he says, very truly, I tell you, Peter, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you don't want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. And then he said to him, follow me. Basically, Jesus was saying, hey, Peter, it's going to be tough, man. You're going to go through a lot of injustice, even to the point of being killed. But Peter, you need to know that if you can bless and not curse, if you can walk in this way that I'm teaching you in this way that I'm walking and have walked, then, then your life is going to glorify God. Now, we need to understand what that means. For us, when we say, hey, your life can glorify God, I don't know how that hits you, but the way it's supposed to hit you is as the most important thing you could ever do with every part of your life. 
the very fact that you have a beat in your heart or a breath in your lungs, the very fact that you have any resource at all, mentally, physically, everything that you have has one purpose in mind. It has been given to you so that you can glorify God. That's the whole thing. That's why you exist and move and have your being. And Jesus is saying to Peter, look, Peter, you will achieve the end to which you have been created if you'll walk in this way. If you'll continue to release that resentment, that bitterness, and continue to bless and not resist the evil person, your life will glorify God. And sure enough, we're still talking about Peter all these days later because his life glorified God. And his words have authority because of that. And the promise that, that we have is if we will walk in these ways, if we will release these things to God and, and bless instead of curse, then our lives will glorify God in a significant way. And we have got to get to a place where we understand that our lives are not about our gratification. That is a lie from the devil that has taken root in America and in the American church. Your gratification is not what God is most interested in. And it shouldn't be what you are most interested in. What God is most interested in is your life bringing his glorification. And that's where our, our lives need to get to, where we understand that glorifying God is the ultimate. It is the highest achievement, the greatest gift. It is the blessing. And on this side of, of eternity, I know it's hard for us to really grasp and understand that, but I know on the other side of death, we're gonna get it immediately. Everything we did to glorify God will be all that matters in that economy. And so we've gotta make this shift. And if we do this, we will glorify God in heaven which there could be no greater thing at all. So those are some reasons why we should do this. Um, I know this is a complicated ethical issue, um, and so I have some rules of thumb, kind of like how, to, how do we decide when we're supposed to, to, to resist or fight or what are we supposed to do? And um, the great theologian, Mike Pfeiffer, who's my brother-in-law, um, we were debating this when we were young and we were trying to solve all the world's problems. And yet what he said is stuck with me. He said it's, because we're looking at Jesus' life and it's like, he never fight, he never fought. But then like, we gotta be sometime we're supposed to fight. So this is just helpful. This is not gospel. This isn't in the Bible. This is just help you. He said it's, it's only right to fight as long as it's not for yourself. So it's a rule of thumb. It's a little helpful guide. Um, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he got to a place with his you know, as an ethicist, as, as a pacifist originally, as someone who just processed and had a brilliant mind, he determined the best thing he could do to serve God was to try and assassinate Hitler. Um, I read Dallas Willard's quote, basically, I can trust Jesus to go into the temple and drive out those who are profiting from religion, beating them with a rope, but I cannot trust myself to do it. We gotta let him do it. And so anyways, instead of trying to really solve all those problems, 
And, and if you do have any kind of challenge or any kind of thing you want to process together, I'm happy to do that. You can email me at Brittany Stockton at livingstreams.org. <laughs> Just kidding. David at livingstreams.org. Um, because I'm trying to learn and process all of this as well. But the best way to get at what Jesus intended when he said these words, I think, is just to look at his, his example of his life. So we're just going to take a moment now and we're going to do that. When Jesus was, was hit on the cheek, literally, when Pilate ordered him to be beaten in hopes that he might confess some sort of sin that he could punish him for, he sent him off to the soldiers and in one account of the gospels, they just took their fists and they just started punching him in the face and they actually ripped out his beard. In another account, they actually took sticks and put a bag over his head and started hitting him in the face with, this, with these sticks, beating him and saying, hey, you're, you're a prophet, why don't you tell us which one hit you? And in the face of that, Jesus responded with, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And then the very next example he gives us, if someone wants your shirt, give them your cloak. And there Jesus was, dying on the cross, and they had stripped him naked. And the only thing we know happening with his clothes at that point was there were soldiers down at the bottom of the cross, and they were casting lots to see who could get his cloak. And Jesus looked down on them, and he said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And then instead of walking a mile or two mile like the Romans said, he was told to carry his own crossbeam. And he didn't just carry it a little ways, he carried it until he literally could not carry it anymore. And he collapsed under the weight. And his response to them was, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And then as he stood there on that cross, and he was weighed down by the sins of all of humanity, the sins of those there who were crucifying, the sins of those who weren't there. You and I, our sin was put upon him in that moment, and the wrath of God was poured out on him that should have been ours. And we will never know how much it cost. We will never know the full extent of what Jesus went through on that cross. It was way more than the physical pain. And he did that because of us. And yet we are told by him, if you come to me and you confess your sins, I will be faithful and just to forgive your sins. We who have no right to even come to him and say, hey, will you forgive us? Because we were the ones that actually did the injury. Yet when we come, he says that he forgives us freely and completely and justifies us as if we'd never sinned before. And he sends our sins as far as the east is from the west. And he forgives us not just past, but present as well as future. So generous and kind. This is what Jesus did in the face of evil. And this is what he's asking his followers to trust him and to take his hand and to walk into. Let's pray.